You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. I'm going to launch straight in uh, to this message, if that's okay with you for time's sake. And and I want to start um, at a juncture in history, uh, a story that's recorded in the book of Matthew, where there are two guys that are being held in prison. They both share the same name. One guy, his name is Yeshua Barabbas, and the other guy's name is Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Now, one guy is a criminal, the other guy is a king. But they're both in bondage and they're both facing the death penalty. But it is the custom of the governor of this particular day in the year where he can release to the people one of the prisoners. And so the governor comes out and addresses the crowd and says to them, which one of these two prisoners do you want me to release to you today? And the crowd, they shout out, Barabbas! And the governor is a bit taken back. He's like, uh, okay, then what then shall I do with the other one called Jesus? And the crowd shouts out, crucify him. And once again, greatly perplexed, he's like, but why? What crime has he committed? And the crowd shouts even louder with greater passion and vitriol, crucify him. Now, what happens after that is that the Roman centurions must have gone down to the dungeon collected Barabbas, brought him up on top, undid his chains and said, you're free to go. And Barabbas must have thought to himself, okay, so what kind of sick joke is this? Because I'm free to go until like, like that music, that sound clip that goes, run. And now what, you're going to chase me? You're going to shoot me? You're going to kill me? Like, like, you see, here's the deal. From the dungeon, Barabbas couldn't hear the voice of one man but he could absolutely hear the shouting of the crowd. And what did the crowd shout? Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. So as far as Barabbas was concerned, he was about to be, di- be, be killed. And now they're saying, you're free to go? Wow. Here's the point. Just because you have heard it said does not necessarily mean that you have all of the information. And we are living in a day and age, it's called the information age, whereby from the moment we wake up in the morning till the moment our head hits the pillow at night, it seems as though someone is trying to sell something to us. If you are one of these undisciplined people who first thing in the morning you reach for your smart device and check social media, okay, well, no, there was silence, so I'm, seeing, I'm assuming there's conviction. We'll pray for you all at the end, it's okay. But but, but have you ever noticed it doesn't take you long in scrolling before you're going to be encouraged to swipe up to download something, to buy something or to engage a service or a product, as the case may be. As you're driving to work in the morning, on the radio, there'll be an advert trying to sell you something. On the back of the bus in front of you, on the billboards, on the side uh, of the buildings, it seems as though there are so many different competing messages trying to grab and vie for your attention and for your wallet. And so as a result, well, advertisers have had to become somewhat creative and clever in order to influence your thoughts and your feelings and ultimately your purchase habits and your political ideologies. And you might not even be aware of how it works. In psychology, we call it subliminal 
communication. So you can be out shopping in a mall and you can see these cool red shoes and you think to yourself like, every girl needs a pair of red shoes. And then you look at the label and they're like, and they're Jimmy Choo. And like, and then you see the price tag, $900. And you think to yourself, if I buy those, my husband is gonna like these, but I can't possibly. But all the while in the background of the shop, there's this song that sings something along the lines of, I am so in love with you. Whatever you want to do is all right with me. And all of a sudden, you have this sense that, you know what, I think it's gonna be okay. Okay, so it's $900. My husband's gonna be upset, but that's what forgiveness is for. And so, having no idea that you may well be being influenced by the music in the background of the store that you just thought was some kind of random elevator music but has been strategically designed to influence your thoughts and your mind. I was walking in the Suntech Mall in Singapore a number of years ago with my daughter. We're holding hands and we're literally singing to the song uh, that's being played in the background of the mall. And I went something along the lines of, Take me to church, I worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. I can tell you my sins, that you can sharpen your knife. Oh, for me, that deathless death, a good God, let me give you my life. Woo! Take me to church. And I had to say, hang on. Hang on just a second. What is it that we're singing? Because the song goes on to say, every Sunday's getting more bleak, a fresh poison each week. We were born sick. You heard them say it. My church offers no absolutes. She tells me, worship in the bedroom. The only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. You see, I was born sick, but I love it. Command me to be well. The song ends by, by singing, amen, amen. Do you know what amen means? Amen means, yes, I agree. Hang on just a second. I don't agree with that. That every Sunday is getting more bleak. That here at Awaken Church, they're feeding you a fresh poison each week. No, no. You see, producers know that if you hear it, say it, or sing it enough, well, you might just end up believing it. Here's what Romans has to say on the matter. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 puts it like this. So then faith comes by hearing, begging the question, are you even aware of what you are listening to? But it's not just what we hear, it's also what we see. You see, advertisers like to embed subliminal communication or messages inside advertisements that are pictorial imagery, even logos. For example, FedEx tells us the direction that they are going in planting an arrow between the E and the X. Or Amazon tells us that they've got everything from A to Z and it is amazing, or it will amaze you. And I kind of think it's kind of clever to embed these types of things. And maybe you're actually taking notes right now for your business going, I need more of this subliminal communication to communicate these messages without people even being aware. But here's the deal. Advertisers, they don't just intend on communicating information, but they want to impart a feeling. For example, KFC made an ad of a chicken burger, but if you look closely, they embedded dollar bills in the lettuce. And there's a certain emotion that comes over you when you see money. I don't know if you like money, but me, I like money. And if I like money, then maybe I'll like a chicken burger too. Or take this gin ad, for example, which looks kind of cool, nice ice, but the letters 
in the ice spell the word S-E-X. And there's a certain emotion that gets evoked when you see the word sex. And so once again, if you like sex, then you might also like gin. It's a feeling. But advertisers know that they can not just make you feel good about their products, but they can also make you feel bad about the competitors' products. For example, Pepsi Cola made an advert dressed up as a Coke can with the tagline, we wish you a scary Halloween, suggesting it's downright scary to drink Coca-Cola. But Coke had the final say when they made the exact same ad and just changed the tagline, suggesting everyone wants to be a hero. <laughs> but what do you think? I mean, is Coke really a hero? Well, the Lord of the Rings might lend us a little insight. This is the inscription on the Lord of the Rings. If you can't read it, it says, Ash, Nazg, Thrak, Atglak, Ag, Brzum. Ishi Krumpetul. Translation, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness to bind them. That's what the ring says. Or does it? Because apparently in one freeze frame, it flashes to say something else. Coca-Cola, one drink to rule them all. You didn't even know it. It's just subliminal. It's just a flash. Your subconscious mind may have picked it up, but your conscious mind is completely unaware of the messages that are being given to you. But, but I've got a question for you. I mean, seriously, what do you reckon? Do you think it really works? Like, do you reckon advertisers are really able to subliminally influence our thoughts and our feelings and ultimately our consumer behaviors or our political alliances and so on and so forth? Well, let me just give you one final example. In Seoul in South Korea, there was a company known as Dunkin' Donuts that was losing some market share because other companies, coffee outfits, for example, Starbucks and Costa Coffee and Gloria Jeans, they, they were coming in and they were taking the market share because people typically would associate donuts with Dunkin' Donuts. But coffee, well, that's Starbucks. And so they would go to these other outfits and get their coffee. And while they're there, you know, I might just grab a snack and now I'm no longer hungry for donuts. So Dunkin' Donuts embarked upon an ambitious marketing or advertising campaign so as to influence people's minds and what they think about this particular company. And what they did was they embedded um, devices into public buses. Uh, these devices would spray out a pst, a mist of freshly brewed coffee. Now, just a side note for a moment. When it comes to coffee in Australia, coffee to Australians is vod vodka is to Russians. In other words, we take our coffee very seriously. And when it comes to coffee in America, we've got a saying about y'all. We say when it comes to coffee in America, America needs Jesus. It's that bad. But anyway, just, just, just a side note. But coming back to Seoul in South Korea, they would spray this mist of freshly brewed coffee into the bus, and these devices were programmed with artificial intelligence to recognize the Dunkin' Donuts jingle when it would come on the radio. And so the jingle was indeed programmed to play whenever the bus was a couple of hundred yards away from a Dunkin' Donuts store. So you can imagine, people are just sitting on the bus, minding their own business, reading the newspaper, or maybe watching YouTube with their headphones in, and the bus 
bus comes to like 100 or 200 meters away from a Dunkin' Donuts store, all of a sudden, on the radio, Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts, whatever the jingle is, I don't know how it goes. And then, this spray, this mist, I just think I sprayed my face, sorry. <laughs> this spray, this mist comes into the bus and the, and, and the people are like, wow, I just, wow, I just feel like a coffee. Their biology is being hijacked and then all of a sudden, the bus pulls up right outside Dunkin' Donuts. More than 350,000 people were exposed to this advertising campaign and for the Dunkin' Donuts stores that were located nearby the bus stops, sales increased by 29%. When you have almost a 30% increase in sales, that's a significant increase. But the most important observation from this particular study or this research or this uh, advertising campaign is that if you go down onto the streets of Seoul, Korea today, and you ask people, hey, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the term Dunkin' Donuts? People no longer say donuts. People now say coffee. So much so that Dunkin' Donuts has even removed donuts from their name, and now it's just Dunkin'. It's, it's interesting. It was an evolution, and people were not consciously aware that, oh, did something change? <laughs> such that we now got this different impression of what a company is all about. And I want to suggest that these tactics, they're nothing new. They've been around since the dawn of time. In fact, one day Eve was walking in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood, and all of a sudden she came upon that $2.50 mango from Queensland, Australia. And she thought to herself, oh, she scratched her beard and thought, I've got to have me one of those. And, and then the devil comes along in the form of a snake and says, psst, go ahead, you know you want to. But Eve is like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed. Like if I, if I eat of that, I'll die. Picking up the story now in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, the devil says, Did God really say that you must not eat of any of the trees in the garden? Verse 4, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be just like God, knowing both good and evil. Or put it into a modern day context, it's like the devil saying, You could be just like Oprah Winfrey, knowing everything. And she's like, what? Oprah, give me that thing. <laughs> Who comes along next? Well, Adam rocks on the scene. And of course, Eve's eyes have been opened. And she, for the very first time, sees that he's naked. And she's like, <laughs> that's so funny. He's like, what are you talking about? I don't know. And she's like, my eyes have been, I know everything. Like, I'm just like Oprah Winfrey. You want to be like Dr. Phil? Isn't it interesting, if we have a look at the scripture, how quickly manipulation goes from the head to the heart, from thoughts to feelings? In verse 6, it says, The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And now that the devil had both her thoughts and her feelings, her actions were sure to follow. And at the end of verse 6, it says, and so she took some and ate it. But I've come here today to say to you that the devil's manipulation and delusional tactics, they are still well and truly alive today. We are living in a day and age, which as we've referred to is the information age. And I would 
I would, I would argue there's perhaps never been a greater time where manipulation is taking place. And according to studies, if you think, mate, it's okay, they're tricky and all that, but I'm not an idiot. Like, you can't fool me. You are the most vulnerable to being manipulated. But if you acknowledge, you know what? Yeah, they're pretty tricky, and I'm probably vulnerable to being manipulated. Just your acknowledged vulnerability in and itself helps to protect you from being manipulated. The three greatest lies that the devil wants to fool you into believing are as follows. Number one, God is not real. Like, I mean, you can't actually believe in that fairy tale. I mean, you might as well believe in the flying spaghetti monster. I mean, science has long since proven that God doesn't exist. God is dead. But if, okay, if you absolutely insist on believing in God, then number two, whatever you do, just don't read the scriptures. Like the Bible is so outdated. We need an iOS upgrade on that thing. I mean, that is a prehistoric, archaic, misogynistic, racist, like that thing, it needs to be canceled. We need a new one. We need one that's more contemporary and in touch with the pulse of the times, more relevant to our modern day progressive society. But thirdly, okay, okay, if you insist on reading the Bible, then just whatever you do, don't go to church. You don't need to go to church in order to be a Christian. I mean, COVID just proved it. You can get up in the morning, hair everywhere, coffee in hand, and just watch online. By the way, special good morning and afternoon to everyone who's tuning in online. Good to see you joining us. But, but here's, the, here's the deal. Is that we got so comfortable doing that. And as you're online, you're like, okay, Pastor Jürgen is good, but Stephen Furtick, now he is really good. And a very good special afternoon, Stephen, if you're tuning in. I think you're awesome as well. But here's the point. You don't need to gather. Like, just tune in online. Why is it that the devil would have us buy into the idea that you don't actually need to gather together? COVID, it's still out there. Maybe you'll get sick if you go. Or maybe you'll be embarrassed because you'll be the only one at Awaken wearing a mask. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10 warns us, don't give up meeting together as some have got themselves into the habit of doing during COVID. Sorry, emphasis added. Matthew 18 verse 20 says, for, though, for where there are two or three gathered, in my name, I am there with them. This is why the devil hates it. Because when we gather together in community, the manifest presence of God is here with us. You see, there is great power in community. In the 1970s, uh, a Canadian professor conducted a series of studies that are famously known as the Rat Park Experiments, whereby they would take rats and put them into cages and give them two different types of water to drink. One was just normal water and the other was laced with heroin or cocaine. And to no one's surprise, of course, the rats would try both types of water and then would seemingly come back to the drug-laced water over and over again and eventually would become addicted to the drug-laced water. And, and, and so naturally, you know, scientists concluded, well, it must be because of the chemical properties that are inside the drugs that are inside the water that are now inside the rat that is creating hooks in the brain and that's why they get addicted. Until just recently, one researcher thought, well, 
what if we changed up the experimental conditions a little bit? Like, what if instead of just putting one rat in the cage on its own, what if we were to put rats in a cage together? Now, I shared this illustration a couple of years ago here um, in San Diego at Awakened Church um, at a different campus. So, so if you haven't heard this before, prepare to be amazed. So what the researchers discovered is when, when rats were in community with play instruments so as to develop relationships with one another and play with one another, the rats would actively avoid the drug-laced water. And even when there was a drug-addicted rat who was drinking the water on their own, taken out of the solo cage and put into the cage with the other fellow rats, even that rat would start to avoid the drug-laced water. Now, this is quite controversial because, hang on, what about the chemical properties? Are you suggesting that community is, is more powerful? And hang on just a second, this, is, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This study has been replicated so many times now that there's a new slogan being thrown down the halls of academia such that no longer do we say the opposite of addiction is sobriety, but nowadays researchers are suggesting the opposite of addiction is called community. There is great power in community. However, it's got to be the right kind of community. Because if you're hanging out with other fellow drug addicts, well, that's only going to serve to reinforce your drug addiction. So let's take a look at the different types of community. According to Oxford Dictionary, there are two different kinds. The first kind is called a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. Whereas the second type of community is the condition of sharing or having certain attitudes and interests in common. And look, both types are good and they serve as protective factors. So for example, um, as a psychologist, I, I speak at a lot of conferences. I speak at a lot of uh, men's conferences. I've done a couple of eMERGE men's conferences. But I tell you, there's nothing like a women's conference. Like, like, like the, the men are a little bit afraid. Like, we're going to talk about feelings? Like, is this, uh, like, I'm not sure I'm, I'm okay with it. But when we talk about psychology at a women's conference, like, everyone leans in. I was once speaking at a women's conference that had 17,000 women in attendance, and I was the only man. It was estrogen overload. But then all of a sudden, I saw another man. I'm like, are you a man? Just checking, like, Crocodile Dundee style. And, and, and then, and then we, we hung out together. But please note, we didn't do life together. We just sheltered together in the sea of women. There's a certain protection that community offers. When you recognize somebody is of same kind as you, like birds of a feather flock together. I was up in the Alps of Switzerland one year. Um, my wife and I and my family, we lived there for a number of years. And one day, while up in the Alps, you know, high on a hill, there's a yodeling goat and all of that, I heard this amazing sound. And it went like this. Yeah, crikey. I mean, truth, mate. How much can a koala bear? And I'm like, oh, that is like music to my ears, an Australian ochre accent. And so I went up to him. I'm like, you Australian? He's like, yeah, truth, mate. I'm like, well, so am I. So we went and had a beer together. <laughs> but please note, we didn't do life together. We just were able to connect with one another because we had some external similarities. It's important to note that 
Having external similarities with somebody else creates a kind of bond that offers you safety and protection or familiarity and comfort. But there is also great power to be found in community and therefore some ideological and political factions would like to use and manipulate this power and take advantage of it. So instead of internal conviction, crowds that can be easily manipulated will always be clustered together in three different ways. Firstly, grouped by external similarities that you cannot logically change. For example, if you were born into a Muslim, Jewish, Christian, or Hindu family in a particular country of a particular race, of a specific gender, and even a specific generation, for example, if you're a baby boomer or X generation or Y generation, millennial or Z generation, or what have we got now, alpha generation coming through the, the ranks, uh, well, that's the family that you were born into. You kind of have no say in the the matter. And because you've got no choice, this group is easily able to be manipulated. Secondly, artificial communities that can also be clustered by personal struggle are easily able to be manipulated. For example, you might be a migrant or a refugee or have sexual confusion or be a single parent or be struggling with poverty or addiction. And, and look, I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with these things because in, in a crowd of this size, kind of most of us would fit into one of these categories. We're just simply saying, but when you can be artificially clustered by your external struggle, then you are much easily able to be manipulated. And lastly, artificial communities that are easily manipulated are clustered together by perceived injustice or personal experience. For example, past abuse, being offended, being subject to perceived racial vilification, discrimination, or even outright failure. And rather than being encouraged to take personal responsibility, well, we'll be encouraged to make excuses and start blaming somebody else for our situation or our lot in life. And rather than looking at ourselves in the mirror and endeavoring to make a change, to change the status quo, well, it's so much easier to be encouraged to smash the mirror because then we no longer have any accountability. Even in church, if you are hurt or disgruntled or if you've already been offended in this service so far, and look, if you haven't, don't worry, there's still time to be. <laughs> well, then you will be encouraged to go find out somebody else who's been offended, somebody who's of like mind, and then you'll find a Facebook group and you'll form it and you'll start blogging, and before you know it, you are throwing stones at the bride of Christ. Instead of sharing the good news of the gospel that we have been commissioned to, you're now sharing the bad news. Have you heard about that awakened church? They are just... But here's the deal, if you're not careful, you don't just end up throwing stones at the bride of Christ, which is called the church of Jesus Christ, you'll also end up throwing stones at the groom as well. You see, in our cont contemporary day and age, we call this identity politics, but it's, it's nothing new. It's been happening for millennia. Jesus was one day coming into Jerusalem on the back of, of a donkey, the, the, the cult, and, and, and the people were praising him. And the religious leaders are like, how dare they? Like, Jesus, stop them. And Jesus says, look, I'm telling you the truth. If they don't praise me, the rocks will rise up and praise me. They were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The Messiah has come. And days later, the entire crowd were shouting, crucify him. Question. How is it possible that an entire group 
or apparent community of people could be so easily swayed for a political purpose. And not only that, but it's interesting to note that what they were calling for, they knew to be wrong. They knew. One guy was a criminal. One guy was innocent. Yet they called for the criminal to be released and for the innocent guy to be executed. How is that possible? Well, welcome to the day and age in which we live, where what is up we now call down, what is left we call right, what is right we call wrong, what is wicked we call wonderful. Fill in the blank. Everything seems to have been turned upside down. How did we get here? Well, the process in psychology, we know it to be called fog. Fog makes it hard to see how manipulated you've already become. Fog stands for fear, obligation, and guilt. Fear is the fuel of manipulation because if you don't conform, well, you might be rejected. You'll be marginalized. You'll be isolated. You might get canceled. And can I just side note for a second and say this process of fear, it works in a couple of different dysfunctional ways. We see on the packets of cigarettes these days, these images of lips being disformed and lung disease and heart, you know, infested with tar and just you know, these awful pictures. And so if you don't smoke, that's a deterrent for you. But if you smoke, then each cigarette you take, you know that you're causing yourself harm. There's a fear attached to this but because we know that if you do something that you know you shouldn't do, shame is what follows. And if you beat yourself up for what you've done, you're almost certainly insured to do it again. It feels so bad to feel ashamed because you know that you're doing something that's not right. And so how do I get rid of this bad feeling? Oh wait, just have another cigarette. Makes you feel good. And so these images on the packets of cigarettes we know in psychology reinforce cigarette smoking. But for the most of the people, it's like, oh, no, it's a good thing. Yeah, good if you're not smoking. Or think about like the COVID vaccine. I mean, not to get political or controversial, but, <laughs> but if there's ever a place to do it, it is the place, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. Whether you're for or against it doesn't really matter. Um, unless you're being forced to do something against your will, then it matters. Because in psychology, we know if you believe that this is not for me, this is not something, this is my free will, personal choice, you know, as a doctor, I would say, well, I conduct experiments on people. I don't participate in them. <laughs> and so if you're like, I don't want to do, I don't want to participate in this experiment, uh, which is okay for you. And if you, if you want to participate in the experiment, well, good for you. Fantastic. You know, free will choice. This is America. But, but if you are forced or compelled to step into that space, against your will. Well, now you have what we call cognitive dissonance. Your behavior is at odds with your belief. I didn't want to, but I did it anyway. So one has to conform to the other, otherwise you go crazy. Mental illness is what follows. So, so either my thoughts have to line up with my behavior or my behavior has to line up with my thoughts. But here's the thing, I did the behavior. So much easier to line up my thoughts now and justify, well, you know, it's important that we do it and I did it for the community to help you. But here's the deal, if you resisted and you resisted and you resisted, I don't want it, I don't want to get it. And then I was forced to, I was going to lose my job. Or I was going to be, you know, out of the military or whatever it might be. And then, oh, I did it. Well, the second one, that one, there will be no resistance. Well, I did it now. Might as well take the booster. Might as well. And I'm in. And that's 
how you are conformed to the likeness of the image of the world. But the Bible I read says, do not, Romans chapter 12, verse two, do not be conformed to the likeness of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the point, this is not about a vaccine. It's about being compelled into behavior that is as odds with your belief system. And that's how the devil gets you. Don't fall for the devil's strategy. Here's the point. The good news is there are two types of community. We said those who are clustered together by external characteristics, the process is fog, fear, obligation, and guilt. But if you belong to a community of choice, if instead of being clustered together by external characteristic, you say, no, I'm gonna be clustered together by my internal conviction, you become almost immune to manipulation. And that is why the devil hates it when we gather together in church. You see, if you can be grouped by your characteristic and be corrupted in your conviction, if you can be branded by your past instead of God's plans for a heavenly filled, hope filled future, if you can be encouraged to smash the mirror rather than taking responsibility, then I argue that you too could be persuaded to call for the release of Barabbas and for the crucifixion of Jesus. In a Christian community, we're not bound by our external characteristics. That's not what clusters us together. Here in Awakened Church, we don't gather because of our fashion style, skinny jeans or whatever it might be, or Jürgen's cool hair. No, it, it's, not, it's not Awaken fashion, it's Jesus fashion. It, it's not the fashion style, it's the style of our life. What is it that we are clustered together? We are clustered together by our passion for Jesus, which is why Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, Therefore there is now no more Jew, nor Gentile, slave, nor free, male or female, black or white, purple or pink. Rather, we are united by our passion for Christ. This is our internal conviction, not our external characteristic. Think of it like this. It's a little bit like a sporting team. If you're passionate about your sport and you support a particular team, please note it's not because I really like the colours blue and white. That is why I support it. No, the uniform is just what distinguishes them from a different team. You barrack that particular team because you are passionate about the sport. Or, for example, if you join a gym, well, the interesting thing is you don't join a gym because you're a buff. No, no, you probably are not buff, and that's why you want to join the gym so that you can get more fit and, and healthy. But, but you don't join the gym because I get to wear lycra. No, that might be part and parcel of, of, of the dress code, um, but you don't join the gym for, for that external characteristic. You join the gym because you want to grow and personally develop. And the same is true in church. We don't gather together because of our skin color or because of external characteristic. No, we gather for the conviction that we have on the inside. And here's the, here's the point, here's the point. You don't have to have it all together to come to church. It's probably because you don't have it all together that you're coming to church. Jesus says, come as you are. But because just like a sporting coach or a gym instructor, there are pastors here, they won't keep you as you are. They're gonna encourage you to grow in grace and knowledge and in truth so that you can go on and fulfill the dreams, the hopes, the expectations that you have and the plans that God has for your, for your life. If you end up believing that you don't have a choice 
in terms of which community that you belong to, that perhaps you were just born a particular way and there's nothing you can, you can do about it, that you just belong to your community by default, well then you've already stopped growing and you've now started to become controlled by something or by someone else. So here's the deal, we can either be influenced by others or we can be intentional about having an influence on others. We can either be manipulated and changed by the world or with God and with His Word and by choice we can belong to His community and be empowered to be the change that this world is so desperately longing for. So together with the right community, governed by the right internal convictions, instead of being changed by this world, what if... What if together in 2022, we made a decision to be the change in this world? And it doesn't happen by default. It's not like, well, I'm going to be the change. Good luck to you. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Find your people. Who is your community? And I guarantee you'll discover it is not by external characteristic, but it is by internal conviction. And here at Awakened Church, I love the internal convictions that you have, the core values that you operate by. I love the, the generosity message that was brought, the testimony of, of living in the favor of her parents, of being faithful in giving. But, but I, I, I couldn't help but think, you know what? That, that generosity, that's not, an, that's not an activity. The word generosity comes from the French word généreux, which is passed down from the Latin word generosus, which means one who is of noble birth. In other words, generosity, it's not an activity, it's an identity. Who are your people? If I was in living in San Diego, this right here would be my people. This is a generous church who knows their identity. They are a force to be reckoned with in the world today. And can I just point out, the entire world is watching what's happening right now at Awakened Church. So why don't we stand to our feet as we close out this service in prayer, as I encourage you, don't be conformed to the likeness of this world. Let's stop being manipulated. Don't be clustered by your external characteristics, rather by maturity of choice. You were born into a family of origin, but when you mature, you get to enter into a family of choice. I'd love to end this service by praying for anyone who recognizes, okay, so how do I belong to the family? I'm sick and tired of being manipulated. Like, what, what, what do I do? Well, here's what the Bible says. If ever anybody, and anybody I would argue includes both you and me, so anybody, you don't have to have it all together, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, anybody, whenever anybody confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is who He said that He is, that He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and He invites us now into a relationship, into a community to be part of His family that we get to choose to say yes, not by manipulation, free will choice. Whenever anybody confesses with their lips and believes in their heart that He is Lord, from that moment on, you enter into an eternal relationship together with Him. And if you've never done that, but would like to, well, I would like to pray with you and for you to close out this service. And you know what? If you want to be included in a moment, we're going to have a, a moment of privacy. Everyone's going to close their eyes. And I'm going to ask you if you would like to be included. I'm going to count to three. You can slip your hand up. I'll see your hand. You can put it right back down again. I don't want to embarrass anyone. And, and then we're going to pray. And the prayer is simply going to involve three things. One, 
we're going to thank God for inviting us into a relationship with Him because there's nothing we could do or have done to earn or deserve this. But two, it's an acknowledgement of, okay, so I made some mistakes. But thank God, Jesus, He came and He died and He's wiped all of my sins away. So I, get, I don't just get a second chance. I get a brand new start. And thirdly, it's a declaration of yes. I believe who you say you are. I'm going to follow you as you lead me on this exciting adventure called life. As I enter into this community, not into a relationship, sorry, not into a religion, but into a relationship. Church, if there is ever a place that manipulation should never happen, it should never happen in church. And if it ever does, you know that church is a religion fog. Fear, obligation and guilt is what's going to be transpiring. But if you're entering into a community, into a relationship by a free will choice, that right there is in an immunity that is just incredibly powerful. And that's it. That's the prayer. So, are you ready? Why don't we close our eyes? Give everyone a sense of privacy in this place right now. If you would like to be included in this prayer, then on the count of three, slip up your hand and do the thing that you know you need to do. One, God loves you. Two, be bold, be brave. And three, hands up right where you're standing. I'm seeing hands go up on my left side, all over the balcony section, on my right in the central section, over on the right-hand side, seeing you, sir, waving at me. So many people getting their lives right with God this morning. Okay, if you've raised a hand, slip it back down. Why don't we encourage those people who've had the courage to raise their hand by praying this prayer all together out loud. I'm going to just say some words, repeat them after me. But as you pray it, pray it like you really mean it. Are you good to go? Okay. Say, dear God, thank you for inviting me to be in relationship with you. I'm sorry, God, for the mistakes I've made. But thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and forgiving my sins. So this day, I say yes to you. I'll follow you wherever you lead me on this exciting adventure. Thank you for welcoming me into your family and your community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.